bullshit is everywhere. You can't handle the truth. Welcome back <laughs> to the bullshit filter. Uh, we don't have time. No. Don't have time to listen to the intro. Uh, episode three point one one of our series on the war on drugs, Ray. Right. And you're back. You've got power. I got when power. We last. I got the power. We... Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. So it just as it was ready to, I was going to just shut everything down. Oh God. I was going to shut everything down, go upstairs to the wife, give it to her good and hard for three, three and a half minutes and enjoy the rest of my night. But no, I get to spend the next two hours with you. I'm excited. Giving it to me long and hard. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I'm excited. In our last episode of the Bullshit Filter, we um, talked about uh, how... Harry Anslinger's predecessor, Levi Nutt, a.k.a. Lefty Nutt, um, was running around the country arresting doctors, shutting down clinics, even when it wasn't legal to do so. Right. Harrison Taxak came in in 1915, said, hey, listen, doctors can still prescribe drugs. That was true for about four years. Then there was a Supreme Court case uh, in 1919 that said, ah, no, they can't. So then that happened for six years, and then there was another case, the Linda case, where the Supreme Court said, wait, sorry, changed their mind. Yes, you can. <laughs> Do over. And, yeah. and but So from 1925 onwards, the doctors were allowed to do that again, but Lefty is still going around with his team arresting doctors, shutting clinics, and, and basically driving the drug addicts, or, or just sick people, right. as we prefer to call them, into the arms of the uh, the mob, the mafia, who were picking up the the gap in supply and demand. Right. Um, there was the vision of Arnold Rothstein, the 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 brain uh, behind the mob's uh, uh, game fixing and prohibition and drug racket. And it turned out that Lefty Nuts' son and son-in-law were both working for Arnold Rothstein secretly in the background. Uh, which is one of the reasons Lefty got fired in 1930 and Harry took his job. Right. So. Yeah. um, I want to keep talking about Henry Williams, though, Ray. So we mentioned that one of the guys, one of the doctors arrested was Edward Williams. He ran a clinic. His brother, Henry Smith Williams, had written 100 books, uh, written articles for a million newspapers, had written a ton of articles for Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, uh, Very Probably the most... Credible, mm-hmm. uh, uh, popular, well-known medical authority at the time in the United States. Nineteen thirty-eight, he wrote a book about the drug war and how it was a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> and um, I want to pick up talking about him. And he called the American um, um, uh, illegalization—is that a word? Criminalization. Let's go with that right. of drugs as the American Inquisition. <clears throat> And we talked about how a congressman uh, from Seattle, John Coffey, gave a speech in 1938 saying, look, before before 1915, there was nobody in prison for drugs. Um, in, that, in, in the next 10 years, there were 75,000 people. One third of all people in federal prisons were there on drug-related charges. So probably by 1938, hundreds of thousands of people had been turned into criminals right. because all of a sudden their drug of choice um, that they had been addicted to, probably because they bought some medicine from the pharmacy. 
<laughs> or got a prescription <laughs> got from addicted. a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got a prescription, they get addicted, then they go, sorry, you can't have that anymore. Yeah. They're like, fucking what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked about how then when the mob got it, the prices went up a hundredfold and uh, people couldn't afford it. So they turned to crime as well. Men became thieves, women became prostitutes. Uh, or the other in way order around. To, yeah. In, or, in order to, uh, everybody's <laughs> looking at me. I hear a word to say, yeah. <laughs> Only the shadows of my mind. Uh, what was that movie? Fucking uh, Midnight Cowboy. There you go. Uh, where uh, jo- John uh, uh, Angelina Jo... Angelina Jolie's dad, John Voight, is a uh, male prostitute. Right. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. (laughs) Slams his hand on the car. I'm walking here. Yeah. Yeah. Love that scene. I was was watching an interview with uh, Al Pacino uh, recently. It's an old thing. He was on um, the actor's studio, and he was given credit to Dustin uh, for that role and um, The Graduate. Both came out before The Godfather, and and he said, you know, this was a new kind of actor. You know, he he didn't he didn't look like Robert Redford. He didn't look like Marlon Brando. Right. He didn't look like James Dean. He wasn't spectacularly good looking. He 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 wasn't, you know, handsome and built and an all American boy. He was Italian American, and uh, is he T- Dustin Hoffman? I don't know what his real name is. Mm. Probably not Dustin Hoffman. Um, what is Dustin Hoffman's real name? You know, he looked uh, he looked dweeby, ethnic, you know, yeah. weedy. Yeah. Oh, this is his real well, name. Dustin Lee Hoffman. Well, fuck me. Little Jewish. Um, yeah. yeah well, Dustin Hoffman doesn't sound Jewish. No. Hoffman? He looks well, a Hoffman, little. Maybe. He looks a little. Jewy. Uh, no, they are Jews. Hoffman is Jewish. Nailed Ashkenazi, it. same as me. I'm Ashkenazi Jew. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Um, according to my uh, 23 and me, I'm like 0.01% Ashkenazi Jew. So, <laughs> you know, I'm moving to Israel. Um, and I'm going to shoot me some Palestinians, basically, no. is what I'm going to do. No. I'm going to stand at the border and just shoot Palestinians and go, a, oh, come on, he, he was uh, Hamas. He was a run, you t- running away with and a tire know, in his hand. Yeah. Just look at him. He looked he looked Hamasi, you know. <laughs> Hamasian. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I meant he liked Hamas. Uh, sorry, I always get those two confused. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> back to our story. Right. Um, Henry wrote this book, and in this book, he drives home the point that being addicted to drugs, in his experience as a medical professional, had nothing to do with the lack of morality. Now, this goes against what you said about Henry at the beginning of our last episode. You you call him a big cunt, an A-grade cunt. Damn right I did. Because you said he said drug addicts were weak. That's what I got from one of the books. Fuck. I can't remember. Yeah, Johan Hari's book, Chasing yes, the Screen. Yes. But did you... Did no, you? No, I did not. I trusted no. and I should not How do have. you know it's not fake news, Ray? Did you go to the source? Did you fact check? No. Did you do due diligence in your role as a fake journalist? <laughs> fake historian journalist? No. no, I did not. Well, certainly by 1938, I don't know what Henry wrote. In the preceding years, but um, certainly when he when he did his magnum opus in 1938, he was convinced that being a drug addict had nothing to do with being weak, had nothing to do with a lack of of of, of moral fiber. 
Right. Well, he it, wrote the, it, it was also he, the um, the experiences that he had in his clinic. He saw these people as individuals and that they weren't criminals. They were they they were just people that were addicted and they needed help. So, yeah, I don't know where he was originally, but he does come around to more like Edwards thinking. You know, these are just people that have issues. It's not about being an inferior race or whatever. These people are just addicted and they need help. He wrote the clearing away of morphine morality superstition. Ooh would do for the victim of drug addiction disease what the clearing away of demoniacal possession superstition (laughs) did for the insane. You mean they really weren't in the grasp of the devil? Mm, Interesting. I know, shocking to you, I'm sure, (laughs) coming from a Baptist background. (laughs) Southern Baptist, but yeah, yeah. Is there a difference? What's the difference between uh, the Baptists and Southern, Southern Baptists? Are even more you have ra- more sex, <laughs> more sex with more sex with cousins. More, it's, it's, more. it's hotter sex. Exist? Thank you very much. No, no, it's a, it's a picture of more conservative, radical offshoot. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, thinking about addiction as a medical problem, as a disease, was pretty novel in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Still still not highly accepted today, obviously, but in the 30s was extremely novel. The founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, right. had the same approach in 1935 when they wrote the big book of AA, as it's known, in 1935. They talked about it being an illness, being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that was pretty shocking. They got a lot of shit from people. Um, uh, They deliberately steered away from calling it a disease. I think they said it was a spiritual illness Mm. um, as well as a physical condition. Um, And I read a thing about this recently. Bill Wilson said, look... um, Disease, it's a very complicated medical term, and we didn't want to get in trouble with the medical profession right. by overstepping the bounds, so we just called it an illness. Um, gradually over time, AA did come to see it and, or were more confident in stating publicly that it was a disease. The American Medical Association declared alcoholism an illness in 1956, so it took them another 20 years. Oh, for the AMA to catch up with that. But the idea actually goes back to the 19th century, the early 19th century. Um, Have you ever heard of Benjamin Rush? I've heard the name. I couldn't couldn't cope past that. No, we uh, can't. When I mentioned Benjamin Rush, um, yeah, Benjamin Rush was an American physician. He was a signatory 
to something called the United States Declaration of Independence. Never heard of that. Don't know what that was, but some hey, something. You're on hollow ground, motherfucker. Watch it. It was a thing. Yeah, didn't G- I thought Jesus wrote the Declaration of Independence. Um, he worked with, through. He, uh, yeah. he took a nib and he stuck it into the his blood that was coming out sure. of the hole in his hand and wrote it on the Shroud of Turin. That's where the Declaration of Independence comes oh from, motherfucker. <laughs> Benjamin Has everybody Rush. got that? Uh-huh. Yeah, did you get that? Benjamin Rush, that's the real fucking, I'm going to make that movie. That'd be like starring Nicolas Cage Hell or starring yeah. me as Nicolas Cage. That's how the Declaration of Independence okay, really got written. You have to audition. Get, Give me your best Nicolas Cage line. <laughs> oh, um, uh, hold on. Hold on. I got one. Um, <clears throat> this is a snakeskin jacket. It's a symbol of my independence. That's pretty bad. I can't do Nicholas Cage. Individuality. No, I can't. can't. Individuality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I can't. I can't do (laughs) that. I fucking, I love that. I got to get that now. I I just remember that one movie when um, the blonde who was in Star Wars recently had purple hair. She said, your cock makes Mm. me hotter than Georgia asphalt. Yeah. Same film, man. Oh, was it? Okay. I couldn't remember. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's reaching back. Oh, fucking. Laura Dern. Man, that movie. Laura Dern, yeah, she's smoking hot, man. She yeah. really... Gotta get this clip. Oh, here we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Peanut! Hey, baby! Oh, wow. Baby, I got a surprise for you. What? Hey, my snakeskin jacket! Thanks, baby! Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times. <laughs> At least he's got a code. He's got a code. He's got a code. I gotta say, fuck all the Nicolas Cage haters, man. Nicolas Cage has made. He can bring it. Yeah. Some of the greatest movies, been in some of the greatest roles ever. Like, yeah, he's made a lot of shit as well, but he's made a lot of fucking gold. Yeah. Not not recently. No. Okay, <laughs> I'll still admit paid. that. But yeah, yeah, back in the day, man, and yeah. he fucked Elvis's daughter. So you know, when, come when? on, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, where am I? Uh, okay, fuck. Hey, where was I? Rush, Benjamin Rush. Yeah. Benjamin Rush, right. signatory to the Jesus document, wrote, Habitual drunkenness should be regarded not as a bad habit, but as a disease. Mm. He wrote that in like I don't know, 1823 He's or something hippie. like that. Yeah. A fucking hippie. So, you know, these ideas go back. Right. Um, anyway, back to Dr. Edward Williams and his arrest and conviction. Now, Harry wanted to make Edward Williams uh, 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 sort of a, 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 a celebrity victim. Right. He was, he was so widely respected, as was his brother. So many people looked up to him, admired him. He was a bit of a superstar, a bit of a hero. Harry wrote, the moral effect of his conviction will most certainly result in greater circumspection. Mm. So you only have to destroy a few doctors at the top right. to silence and scare the fuck out of everybody else. That was his model. Kill one to terrorize 10,000. Gotcha. Or sacrifice one. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the same thing. While he's doing this, um, our old mate, J. Edgar Hoover, mm-hmm. 
is doing the same thing where he's infiltrating COINTEL Pro, um, the operation, infiltrating socialist organizations and communist organizations, and then later on in the 50s and 60s, infiltrating NAACP and, and, and MLK's organizations. You know, the, the, the J. Edgar's model was to infiltrate. You, you have somebody who, an agent or, or somebody who's a stool pigeon who you pay to pretend to join these organizations. Right. And then that person, once they get on the inside, looks for dirt or creates dirt. Like famously, what they would do with uh, the Black Panthers is uh, he would they would infiltrate it, and then they would convince the the stool pigeon, the infiltrator, would convince uh, people inside the Black Panther they should be selling drugs right. to get guns to to fight the war against the the cops. And they, you know, they would they would spend a year organizing this and making it happen. Then, as soon as it happens, then they bring down the Black Panther leadership, you know. Oh. And and, uh, uh, and and this was happening on mass. J. Edgar Hoover was doing this on mass across the country, destroying any political uh, activist organization uh, to in in ways that were usually bullshit, spurious. Anyway, another story. So um, we'll do that in the Cold War show. So this is what Harry's doing. Maximum intimidation. Uh, One of his agents, Howard Diller, later said, anybody that came out with any academic work that could be critical of him, his bureau, or his philosophy had to go to prison or be beheaded. Now, before you go on, I just want to mention something quick about Edward um, Williams, just so everybody knows what we're dealing with. So obviously, he and his brother are very intelligent people. They're very successful. They've written a lot. They're very well respected. And when Edward came, when Edward built his, when he found the flaw in the law, or he found what the law was, he built his clinic and he starts helping all the he starts helping all these addicts it gets to the point where these people are able to slowly get their lives back in order when they come into his clinic they're like physically wrecked but he's able to give them just enough of whatever drug they're addicted to get it in their system on a regular basis but they're not ODing they get on with their lives they have families they have jobs or whatever it gets to the point where this clinic is so successful before it's busted that the mayor of Los Angeles brags about this clinic and one of the local federal prosecutors says, these clinics have accomplished more good in one day than all the prosecutions in one month. So they really start to turn this around. And as, you're, and as you can imagine, we don't have to go into it yet, but once Edward uh, Williams is arrested and the clinic is shut down, all those people who were getting help from him, a whole bunch of very bad things start happening to them because they can't get the drugs they need at an affordable price on a regular basis and that it's legal. So all of their lives turned to shit because the one man who was helping them and being supported to a degree by the city is no more. So when Edward gets arrested, Henry, his brother, goes to see Harry Anslinger at his office to <coughs> excuse me, to plead for his brother's case and ask Harry to lay off his brother yeah. and say, hey, by the way, you're, this is against the law, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Um, when he's in Harry's office, Harry basically claims no knowledge of the arrest. He pulls he pulls the old uh, oh really? <laughs> what? No. You're really? Did we do that? That can't be right. That, that is I am shocked, shocked, shocked I tell you, to hear that gambling is going on in this establishment. <laughs> and 
He blames it on his underlings yes. because with Harry, the buck stops somewhere else. Oh, <coughs> over there. there, way, <laughs> way over there. I can't even see the buck. It's so far. It's away. over there somewhere. Yeah. I know. I someone told me that someone told them that it, it did in fact stop. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Right, but I heard. Now, when when Henry leaves his office, Anslinger apparently made fun of him. Yeah. with uh, in front of his staff that he fell for it. Jeez, what an asshole! Uh, another doctor once went to visit Harry with a gun. Yeah. hidden in his jacket, ready to shoot him. He got to handle it. But Harry saw it coming and disarmed the guy. Yeah. Because uh, he was a badass, Harry the Gunslinger. He said, really? You bring a gun to somebody's office whose nickname is Harry the Gunslinger Anslinger? <laughs> stupid. How fucking stupid. Oh, and, ju- and just one more thing. I just thought this was interesting. One of the other doctors in California. I oh, know this one was in Portland. I'm sorry. So he gets arrested along with these other 20,000 doctors. And he goes, okay, look, I, I get what you're doing, um, but I have one question. Is there anything that I can do legally? To help these people, which I think is a fair question. You say I'm breaking the law, you're arresting me or whatever. And and the one guy, and you can tell he's one of uh, Harry's men, he says, yeah, sure, there's plenty you can do. Run the whole bunch of them down to the ocean and kick them in. They'll make fair fish food. That's all any of them are good for. So again, absolutely no mercy. They've taken on the Anslinger attitude about this. If you're an, If you're an addict, you deserve no mercy, you deserve no help, and you deserve every bad thing that is going to happen to you. Bunch of cunts. Wow. Yeah. Bunch of cunts indeed. Yeah. Now, in Henry's book, he eventually claims that Harry was taking his instructions from the mafia. Oh. And and to back that up, he talks about the case of Chris Hansen, which had come out the year before. Chris Hansen was Harry's bureau chief in California. He was the guy that was in charge of rounding up all the doctors, shutting down all the clinics in California, including Edward Williams. Mm -hmm. So Henry wrote, well, we know why he did this, because not long after he shut down the clinic in uh, Los Angeles, Edward's clinic, it was proven in court that Chris Hansen, or Big Chris, as he was known, because he was a big guy, apparently, um, was actually secretly working for a notorious Chinese drug dealer named Wu Sing. Oh, God. Wu Sing? Wu Sing. <laughs> Everybody's on the take. Is there a decent person anywhere besides the two Weems brothers? <sighs> apparently not. So apparently Chris Hansen was taking huge amounts of cash <laughs> from the Chinese drug dealers in order to go and shut down drug clinics. Wait, wait, wait. So a criminal is paying a cop to do his job to do it better, harder, faster, smarter? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Because the more clinics that got shut down, Ah. uh, the, the, the bigger the opportunity was for the drug dealers. So, yeah, he was getting paid by Wu Sing. Double Um, dipping, yeah. The drug dealers wanted the war on drugs. Uh Uh-huh. Because the war on drugs was good for the drug business. Well, that tells you right there, if the criminals want it, 
And it has remained good for the drug business. Like, the drug business is bigger today than when the war on drugs started. <laughs> it's a good thing for the drug dealers. Right. Uh, not to mention the modern-day Harry Anslingers. Right. What did, what did you say? The, the war on drugs costs America these days is a $50 billion a year? It's just over $50 billion a year, and that if we taxed it appropriate along with alcohol, it would bring in $46.7 billion a year. Is that just marijuana, or is that all Schedule One drugs? Oh, uh, I'd have to look. I think that was. I think that was the war on drugs in general. I'd have to look that up. Um, no, I mean the the tax base. Is that just right, look, marijuana tax base, or it just says that drug legalization? Don't, I think it means okay. marijuana. I think it means that. just marijuana. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, Hansen was sentenced to 10 years in federal penitentiary at McNeil. Oh. And a fine of $9,000. So there you have it. At the start yeah. of the drug war, the man who launched and ran the drug crackdown in California did it because he was being paid to by the drug dealers. At least in part, that's why he did it. So, so help me with this conversation. He meets with this Wu Sing. You work harder. You work harder. I pay you. I mean, that was racist. But so I'm just again, this, this, <laughs> this, this criminal is paying a cop to do his job even better than he currently does it. Where do I sign up? <laughs> wow, I can't believe you just did. Uh, I know Hollywood. I know. <laughs> you know Fu Manchu accent, man. What, what the fuck has happened to you? <laughs> you. I think you need to do a disclaimer now to say that uh, okay. you don't believe all Chinese people I, in America speak like that, right. and they're very fine people. Yeah, um, what Cam said, except except for the ones the the waiters at the local place who hit on my wife in front of me. That's not appreciated. <laughs> hey, you want the real man? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we Chinese small people, but uh, bigger than bigger than your husband. Yeah. I uh, never mind. Not even going to go there. Okay, what's next? Um, so Henry knew this about Big Chris Hansen, so he figured Anslinger must have also been right in the pay of the mafia. But as it turns out, he was probably wrong in that case. Um, yeah. We certainly have no evidence. No evidence has ever emerged that Harry Anslinger was in the pay of the mafia. He was a cunt, yeah. sure, <laughs> Massive. but he wasn't corrupt. Right. I think he really believed. I think he, I mean, he's obviously he's got his own demons just like everybody else, but I really think he was, he was waging a moral crusade, not, not to save these people, but to save everybody else but these people. And he, you know, was probably building his own little empire as well. This was a, a target for people to go after for the cops. He, he, he built this little um, empire and had kept himself a job for 30-odd yeah. years yeah. as the head of the Narcotics Bureau. So there were that's a motivation. Yeah. It was in his own self-interest to continue to do this. We know for a fact that lots of doctors, including Henry, um, told Anslinger that he was wrong about drugs right. and he blatantly ignored them. So he wasn't 
like innocently mistaken or, or believing the drugs were bad based on evidence or facts or data, he just decided for probably a combination of reasons, like I think you mentioned in an early episode that he had some bad experiences uh, as a kid right. with people that were addicted to drugs and it turned him against them. Later on when he was during the war, World War One, he had some experiences and now he's He's just decided that he's going to wipe it out. He doesn't care what the evidence is, doesn't care what the medical professionals yeah. say. He's just going to do it it's a, anyway. It's just crusade. And, and just, just to touch on uh, Edward Williams again, so 17 other doctors uh, supported him during the trial, obviously to say that he was genuinely helping these people. Like Cam said, it didn't matter. He's still found guilty. But Harry writes after that. And, and, and the other point that you're probably going to go into is that no, no more prescriptions from him or from any other doctor are going to be written for a very long time. And Harry writes, doctors now cannot treat addicts even if they wish to. So again, no sympathy, no compassion, no understanding. They're evil. Their very existence is evil. Doesn't matter how they got addicted. We need to shut these people down. That uh, that uh, riff reminds you of anything? Dun, 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 dun. What? I can't. Oh yeah. When uh, Ghostbusters came out, Huey Lewis and the News actually sued Ray Parker Jr. for copyright infringement, and um, they settled out of court. Mm. Um, So, good old Henry. Um, He spent the rest of his life setting up a group to campaign for an end of the drug war. Yeah. But Anslinger wrote to everyone who expressed an interest in it, basically warning them that it was a criminal organisation that was in trouble with Uncle Sam. A vague threat. I like that. Henry died in 1940. Now you, you were going. You were saying a minute ago that uh, yes. Yeah, so 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 Harry's winning. He's he's slapping all these doctors down. The vast majority of them are found guilty, but some of Harry's men start quitting because it's just going. You know, to them it's just getting way too extreme. William G. Walker wrote that if anyone could see the suffering of these poor devils obviously the the addicts they would understand why we should have a change so so some of harry's men quit but like we said earlier you know they've got a job they've got a lot of 
power. They're part of the federal government or whatever, and they're going to do whatever they have to do and tell Harry what he wants to hear in order to keep their job. So they're doing the same thing that Harry is. The depression is on. It's hard to get a job. It's hard to make ends meet. But these guys have got great jobs, and as long as they keep instilling fear in the American public, they'll still have their support, and their budget will always be renewed the next year, and they get to keep their job. So Harry's book, Drug Addicts are Human Beings, as I said, uh, I think in the last episode, has been out of print and mostly forgotten um, ever since it came out in 1938. But you can find it like I did on Mm archive.org. And um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes in case anyone wants to have a read of that. The book contained a prediction. Henry wrote, If this drug war continues, there will be a $5 billion drug smuggling industry in the United States in 50 years' time. Oh, God. And he was spot on, (laughs) almost to the exact year. The size of the global illicit drug market that Harry played a big role in creating, which we'll get into in future episodes, is estimated today at around sort of three to four hundred billion dollars. Yeah, it's about one percent of global GDP. But the story of the Williams brothers, Edward and Henry, and all of the doctors that were crushed illegally, a lot of them, right, and the clinics that were crushed, has been completely wiped. From America's collective memory. Yes. So much so that in the 1960s, when Harry Anslinger retired and was given a, an award by uh, John F. Kennedy mm-hmm. for his service to the country, Harry was able to say that the doctors had always been his allies in the drug war. He told a journalist, I'd like to see a doctor who claims he was treated in anything but the kindliest fashion. And nobody said fucking boo. <laughs> that is power. And so so these people's lives are being ruined, ruined. These clinics are shut down. These doctors' lives are being ruined. But as you can imagine, Harry sees this all as a victory. And if anybody gives him any trouble, he can say that what I'm doing is working and I can prove it. He said, since this crackdown has started, the number of addicts has dropped in this country to just 20,000. How did he, and every, you know, no one, again, because he's a government official, no one questions his, uh, no one questions his figures or asks him how he comes up with it. But years later, historian David Courtright submitted a freedom of information request to see how this number was arrived at. Believe it or not, Harry simply made it up. The Treasury's department top officials privately said it was absolutely worthless information. He just picked a number, but he said he's in charge of this bureau. He's got a suit and tie on. He's a white guy. Everybody believes him, believes him at his, takes him at his word, and it's just another victory lap for Harry. Well, I think that's where we'll wrap up the uh, Henry Williams episodes. A um, bit of a shorter episode, we, but we want to get into, we want a clean start with our next episode where we're going to start talking about the Billie Holiday story and how her life was also ruined by Harry Anslinger. Um, but yeah, just I think I mean, fascinating for me, Ray, mm-hmm. that this uh, the congressman John Coffey we spoke about and Henry Smith Williams back in 1938, 90 years ago, mm-hmm. no, 80 years ago. Still, um, quick mental math uh, <laughs> failure there. Uh, <laughs> we 
we're way ahead of the time yeah. talking about the problems of the drug war. This was out there. This is, again, this guy, Henry Williams, wasn't fucking nobody. Yeah. The most prominent, widely respected medical authority in the United States at the time. With tons of experience. Outside of maybe the... Right. Did you have a Surgeon General back then? I don't even know. I don't know. Um, and uh, it got ignored, absolutely ignored. Um, and and he watched as two levels of criminal activity were created. The victims who had to turn to crime right. to support their drug habit and the criminals that supplied them with their drugs became insanely wealthy uh, and insanely powerful mm-hmm. as a result of pretty much illegal shit that that Nutty, Lefty Nut and Harry were doing, shutting down the legitimate supply of drugs to drug addicts. And I meant to touch on this earlier. There was one part in one of the sources that said that, you know, obviously they're going against, uh, Harry's going against the Supreme Court, but uh, obviously the Supreme Court doesn't have its own troops. It doesn't have its own soldiers. It doesn't have its own cops or whatever. And it reminded me of that, that supposed quote of Stalin, how many divisions does the Pope have? So you can make all the rules. You can make all the laws you want. But unless you have someone to enforce them, then what's the point? And then I remembered the, the Bureau, Harry's Bureau, is under the executive branch. And it's the executive branch that enforces the laws of, of the Supreme Court. And the very man who's supposed to be doing that, the one you're supposed to trust to, to enforce these laws, is the one who's purposefully ignoring them and doing his own thing based off his own sense of right and wrong. He's completely ignoring the law and he's just going his own way. And besides a couple of times where, he's, where a few people try to check him or get him fired because he's, he uses the N-word or whatever, this guy is not touched. He is getting more and more accolades thrown on him. And now he could pretty much, now that he's broken the doctors, if, if you arrest a Mexican or a black or whatever, yeah, whatever. But when you can go after college-educated white men who are doctors and you can win against them, you are untouchable. All right. We'll be back next week, folks, with uh, the continuation of the stories. I said we'll get into the Billy Holiday uh, story. So uh, talk to you then.